You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Nathan Peternell. If you don't know me, my name's uh, Pastor Nathan. It's a joy to be with you today. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church, and uh, I- I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And so I walk through the door, Pastor Micah, or uh, Pastor Michael, he comes up to me and goes, are we going to talk about this right now? And should we just get this out of the way? And I said, what part would you like to talk about? The part where my Pittsburgh Steelers totally get annihilated by the Colts. I said, you want to talk about that? You want to talk about how it was 30 unanswered points right in a row? Want to talk about, or do we want to talk about the fact that once a decade, this happens to a Steeler fan, and he has to just take it. You have to take it. I owe Ivan a candy bar. Wherever Ivan is, there he is. He's happy. Last year, he had to buy me a candy bar. So here's what I'm going to say. If you put your hope in the Pittsburgh Steelers, you will have those moments where you will be put to shame. But if you put your hope in Jesus, you'll never be put to shame, okay? So that's why I don't worship the Steelers. They just love them. My second favorite team is the Colts. And boy, that was bad. Okay, anyway. Um, let's talk about hope. Uh, we've been talking, this, this series is really hope for the heart. It's been something that we're now in, in the fourth week of it. Um, we start off by talking about hope for your home and how to be a witness to your family and what to prioritize as we're having people together and we know they're not all coming and, and, and are, you know, coming from the same place. Not everybody in our, in our families love the Lord. And so our, one of the things we talked about was how important it is to make sure that when it comes to uh, getting together with our family, our number one priority is to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. So you have to pick what you're going to talk about. You have to pick what you say. You've got to think about your spirit because people need the gospel more than any other news in this world. And we want to believe that God's reaching our homes, our families. So how do we do that? Then we talked about hope for our town. And that the fact of the matter is, is that this is not just hope for across the world. This is hope that should be touching and changing northwest Indianapolis. Right? This has to be right here. And we, once again, why do we do good works? Do we do good works uh, so that we feel good about ourselves? No. But... Go and do good works that men may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we do it so that people will go, why do you, why do you hand out all these Christmas hams? Why do you pray for people in the line? Why do you provide food for the poor? What are you doing? It's because we are recipients of the grace of God, and it's just the natural part of generosity in the Christian to turn around and love people where they are. Hope for our town. Last week, we talked about that the gospel is hope for all the nations. Six words we wanted. Good news, great joy, all people. And I look around this room, and it's always been, I have have, uh, been preaching at this campus, this this particular location, because I was right out of Bible college. This was the first place I was hired out of Bible college. And I've always known that the nations were represented at this place. 
I remember we used to we used to celebrate the nations on the fifth Sunday night of every month. We'd come together to do what we called a love feast, and it was all of of uh, of the nations would bring food that was th- from their particular country, and we would eat. Do you remember that? So many of you are in here, but we would eat those things together and and laugh and cut up, and and you know what? When people would talk about diversity, we're like, oh my goodness, we're naturally diverse. And the fun thing about diversity is after a while, you start to make fun of each other for their diversity. But because you love each other and everybody knows that it's just in fun, you're celebrating. You're like a family teasing one another. This is great. The nations were always meant to be blessed by Jesus coming. It wasn't just for one nation. It wasn't just for the Jewish people. It was for everybody. And so why do we care about Cambodia? Why do we care about building an orphanage in Cambodia? And I, and, and I mentioned this last week. I was preaching over, I think, at Noblesville. And I, I said, some people stop and they go, you know, Pastor Nathan, I don't understand why we're giving money away to foreign countries whenever we have our own problems right here in our own backyard. Why do we do that? And, and, and it just broke my heart that that was the question, and I, I want you to know the answer, because if we wait until everything is right in America, we'll never do anything for the rest of the world. It is not just doing things here, and then we go over there. It's both and. We do both things. Why do we care about little, little lives being displaced by the Chinese mafia? Because... Because they matter, and they're going to be the next leaders of Cambodia. God's going, to, God's going to restore a father and mother's heart because of that orphanage and that Indiana missionary who's given 30 years of his life to pour out his life over there. And, and nothing is wasted. You never know where God's going to raise up the next great leader of a country. And we believe it's going to come through the ones that we've prophesied over and prayed over. So hope for the nations. And today, as I were one week from Christmas Eve, and maybe you've gotten all your, I hope you've gotten your Christmas shopping done. I, 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 I've, I, most of my Christmas shopping is done. Do you know how I know that? Because I asked my wife. <laughs> Honey, how are we on the Christmas shopping? Are we doing okay? All right, good. Amen. We're one week away. Amen, that's right. One week away, but think about this. Just slow everything down. Today, here's what I'm going to do over you. I'm going to bring everything back to your heart. Just to your heart. I'm going to bathe you in Scripture. This is kind of one of those things we do at the Freedom Conference. We just speak the word of Jesus. We speak the words. How many know that God made this whole world with the sound of his voice when he spoke words. I'm going to speak the word over you, and I just want you to just take a bath in it today. I want you to see the gospel. I want you to feel the healing that comes from who he is. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 13, verse 12, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. How many have ever been waiting on something to come through and it just seems like it delays and delays and delays and delays? Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is the tree of life. And today I mean to tell you that the desire fulfilled in our heart is Jesus. He is our tree of life. 
I was once on a plane. I, I'm, I, um, I, I get to travel all over the world to see different missions projects. I got to go to uh, uh, over into the Asia Pacific area in September. But a lot of these plane trips are really, really long. They can be, I don't know, 12, 14, 16 hours. That's one hop before you get you know, off on another plane. And sometimes traveling across the world could take you 30 hours to get over there. And so I'm one of these people that I think to myself, Lord, if you want me to talk to somebody, just tell me, just make it, you know, like I'll, I could sit there quietly, but if you want me to talk to the person you put beside me, then just, just make it known to me. Make sure I, I get the clue. So I'm, I'm in LA and I'm about to get on a plane trip to Israel. This is about uh, six years ago. And I prayed that prayer right before I got on the plane. And, and so this man walks up, get this, this is how he starts the conversation. He says, this world is so wicked that surely the Messiah must come. I'm like, okay, that's a clue. I, can, I got that one, God, right? Like, I, that's no problem. I, I got this. Do you know who the man was? I had a 10-hour conversation with a man about who Jesus was. He was the senior advisor to the Israeli foreign minister. And we sat there and we talked, and he told me why Jesus was not who he said he was, and I told him why he was. And then I quoted to him from the book of Isaiah that dates, what, 700 years prior to Jesus coming. And I'm quoting to him, and, oh, he didn't want me to use the New Testament. I said, that's okay, I'll just use yours. I'll just use the Old Testament. How's that? And so I'm quoting to him the book of Isaiah. By the way, if you, if you haven't heard this, the book of Isaiah is considered the fifth gospel because of how much it talks about Jesus. And so I'm just quoting it over him, and he says, stop, stop. He goes, I know you're trained in this. He goes, I know I can't listen to you because you're trained in this. And I said, I'm just reading you your book, right? I love it too. But it was all about who Jesus was. So today, if you have your Bibles with me or you're, you're, you, got your, you got your phone or whatever, I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. That's where I'm going to be largely, but I'm going to go in different places from there. I don't expect you to totally keep up with me, but those, those verses are the ones I want to draw you to, Isaiah chapter 9. I really believe that what that man said, this world is so wicked that surely the Messiah must come? He's not wrong. The reality is, though, that the Messiah already came, and he's coming again. And his, come, his coming is not far from now. Look at verse 1. It says, but there will be no more gloom for her who is in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Here it is where salvation is going to come from. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. There's the verse that Pastor Mike just quoted. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. 
And you shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. All the world was in darkness when Jesus came. And especially where the Jews were, 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 were intended. The, the great light, the light of the world, the son of righteousness, he's called. He first broke through the northern track of Israel by the way of the Sea of Galilee. And he came teaching and preaching in Galilee of the Gentiles. you got to be looking at Galilee. Most of the 30 years that Jesus dwelt on this earth, he dwelt in Nazareth that was in Zebulun. There he had come where he first was teaching in the synagogues in Galilee. He did his first miracle at Cana of Galilee. It was at Capernaum upon the seacoast that he commenced in preaching what? Repentance. The light streamed forth from this particular quarter of the quarter of the world and Jesus is the light who was promised. How do we know that Jesus was the light? John chapter 1. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So about two weeks ago, I had breakfast with a, a man named Nasser, who is a, he's a, he's a, he's an imam from the mosque in Fishers. And uh, he's a very nice man. I met him at an interfaith meeting that the mayor was having, and he was pro-Gaza, and I am pro-Israel, right? Why am I pro-Israel? Because I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you. This has never been rescinded. All of our salvation comes through the Israel people, the people of Israel. We wouldn't have Jesus apart from Israel. And so, therefore, where am I going to stand? Who did God give the land to? He gave it to Israel. It is forever. It's their land. I don't have the right to tell them to give it away because I'm not God. God gave it to them. So, as a believer, my posture is it belongs to the Israelis. And then for 2,000 years, they are not even a nation and what do you know, in our lifetimes, we get to see a nation born in a day. We are living in the end times, folks. So, he and I differed on this particular thing. I thought, well, that's probably not going to go well. But anyway, what ended up happening is we set up to have a breakfast together. So we go out to breakfast, and we're meeting with one another, and and this man does not believe, because he's Muslim, he does not believe that God could be housed in the body of a man. So for three hours, we argued over the scriptures. And I'll tell you what, this guy is a brilliant man. Well-spoken, very, very kind, but he brings out, you know what he tried to use to discredit the story of the gospel? He tried to use the Bible. And he knew his Bible better than most Christians know their Bible. And he's a Muslim. And so he's talking about God could not be housed in a person. Now, I want to tell you that's why Christmas is so important. This is why theologically we have to be able to defend that this is the plan of God. 
But he refused to believe it, just like it said that, that, that the darkness did not comprehend it. He has a paradigm. And sometimes, how many know God has to come into our world, mess up our paradigm for us to see him? That's what has to happen for this man. And yet, he was willing to talk about it all day long. In fact, do you know, in January, he invited 25 people from Life Church to come to his mosque to talk to his people about what we believe. I'm telling you, that's a pretty awesome opportunity, amen? Now, could it be uncomfortable? Yes. But we can go in there and be ambassadors of Jesus Christ, treat with kindness, and stand on God's word. Because I, I told him, I said, you, you're inviting me to your church? He said, yes. I said, I want to be totally clear. You realize my mission is to take everybody in your mosque and put them in my church. You realize that, right? <laughs> and he said, yeah, that's okay. You can come. I'm like, okay. He's the light of the world. And he, sometimes he has to break our paradigm. Look for what he says in verse, in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. God will become flesh, is what Isaiah is telling you. God will dwell with you. He's not going to be ordinary. He's going to have a supernatural entrance. That's why the virgin birth will be assigned to you. That's why it's going to matter. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, 14 and 15. This is where it comes from. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall, and, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Now, you got to get this, that that. God is going to put himself in the housing of a human form. That's what, that's what Nasser was struggling with. It can't be. A, a human body could never hold him. And yet, it did. It was purposed that way. Why? Because Emmanuel, what's it mean? God with us. God was not saying, you're going to come up to me. He's saying, I'm coming down to you to make a way. He tells us that it will be human flesh. A child is the gift that God gives. What is the season of Christmas? It's the season of giving gifts. Why? Because God gives himself to us. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And I said, don't you see, Nasser? His name will be the He will call. This is what he's going to be called, the Mighty God. The man, the baby, the one who would come will be called the Mighty God. And it, that doesn't fit in his paradigm. The government will rest on his shoulders. He shall set up a kingdom that will be governed, but he's going to govern it. What's unique about his rulership versus what is normal in our world? Well, look at this. Normally, how many know that the government upholds the ruler? 
Normally, it's the Constitution that upholds the ruler. Normally, it's the army who upholds the ruler. But here we get that he will uphold the government. Totally different. The government, the kingdom rests on his shoulders. Nothing upholds him. And he will be called, and these are the names that are truly applicable to who he is. And we're going to go, th- go through them here. I want you to see them. I want you to think of these two questions as we contemplate this. What was it like to leave heaven to become a man? What was that like? And then why would he do it? Why would he do that? Let's look at four reasons why he'd do that. Why would God become a man? Number one, it's this. To reveal to us who he is. He is the remarkable king. So we're going to look and examine his humanity and also his deity. And I want you to think of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Because the writers of those hymns, they were trying to tell us something. And we just catch a catchy tune and we sing right past it. Don't sing past these words. Watch what the writer says. Christ by by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Go back. I, I love this guy, Nasser. I loved him, man. I just, you know, even though we might be on different sides of who Jesus is at this point, my heart just naturally loved him. I'm praying for him. I'd like you to all. Would you just pray for Nasser? Just pray for our Muslim community. Do you know that Fishers is kind of, they're looking to make that the next Dearborn, Michigan. And I want you to pray because God's bringing the lost to us so that they can be found. But I, he was quoting to me verses from John 10, and I said, hey, Nasser, you don't get to do that. You can't quote to me to try to destroy my argument, the I am statements in the book of John chapter 10. Would you ignore John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, came, nothing came into being that has come into being. Who does that make the Word? The Creator. Yes. He is called the Wonderful Counselor. Stop and think about that, the wonderful counselor. Two expressions, wonderful. First, in his nature as the God-man, and in his teaching, he astonished those people who heard him. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, it says, When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not like one of the scribes. Well, how did the scribes preach? Well, this guy says this, and this guy says this, and this guy says this. But here Jesus would get up and he'd quote himself. (laughs) I love it. He'd go, hey, I say unto you. And I'm kind of, I'm the first and the last, so I could trump them all. That's another thing about Islam. 
Do you know why they believe that Muhammad is the greatest? Because in their minds, they believe Muhammad is the last prophet. And as the last prophet, he has the final word. The only problem is Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and I'm the Omega. I'm the beginning, I'm the end. And Muhammad is dead and Jesus is alive and he's coming back again. The circumstances of his birth and his death and his resurrection and his ascension, they were wonderful deeds. Wonderful, meaning full of wonder. It means that they they take our breath away. You never get bored at being in awe of God. Now, where does the counselor, what does that, where does that come from? What does that mean? Counselor, as in the word in John chapter 1, verse 1, as wisdom itself. If you go to Proverbs chapter 8, verse 14, it says this. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. Power is mine. Wow. Can you imagine a counselor quoting himself and saying, this is who I am? Once again, go back to John chapter 1. Look at verse 14 and 15. It says, And the Word became flesh. He dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about Him and cried out, asking, This is He of whom I said, He who comes after me is of higher rank than I, for He existed before me. Who was born first, John the Baptist or Jesus? John the Baptist was born first, but John correctly understands that he is the eternal self-existent one in both directions. He predates me. He's God in the womb. Born, grew, slept, was weary, hungry, wept, died. He was humanity, deity who had become humanity. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. Crowds, what did they want to do? They wanted to hear him. Why? Because he had gracious words, words like no man ever spoke like he did. He's the counselor. What is a counselor? It's a guide. It's a, a counselor is approachable. He meets us where we are. And unlike all the human counselors, he has the power to change us empowered he has empowered to do what's right to transform us and to create a new man within us do you remember when he talked to nicodemus who was a teacher of the law he was educated nicodemus came to him in john chapter 3 if you ever look at, at john 3 16 who is jesus talking to when he speaks those words he's talking to nicodemus And here, he's got to blow Nicodemus' paradigm. He's talking about being born again. He goes, how does one do that? Does a man enter again into his mother's womb? And he goes, you're a teacher and you don't understand these things? How many know that sometimes we have a blindness that's upon us that has to be broken? That's why we pray for people that the blinders come off. We pray that they might be able to see, that they get a revelation of who God is and what is the revelation of God. It's Jesus Christ. He is the mighty God. He's not just a prophet. That's what, that's what Nasser believed about Jesus. Oh, he's a prophet. We like Jesus. I'm sorry. Leaving him at prophet status is not good enough. 
Oh, he's a prophet, but way more than a prophet. He didn't come to be a philosopher. He came to be the sacrifice for the world. He's not just a good man. He's God himself, and he is superior to all others, and all others are dwarfed by him. Psalm chapter 45, verse 6 says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You loved righteousness and you hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. Jesus has no rival. He has no equal. Nobody stands beside him. You don't get to do that. He is far above. And he is the everlasting father. Our creator is the preserver and the protector of all mankind. I hope you hear in my voice when I talk about Islam, it is not that I do not love every one of those Muslims and want them to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but I get mad at an ideology that keeps people in blindness. He is the everlasting Father. He is everlasting. Think about that. In his nature, he is eternal in years. Do you remember the song we used to sing about um, Ancient of Days? Blessing and honor, glory and power, be unto the ancient days. Man. He's eternal. He exceeds all scales of measurement. In geometry, he's a line. He has no beginning. He has no end. He goes eternally in both directions. In scope of his dimension, he has no limits morally in his goodness or his kindness. You'll never get to the bottom of the goodness of God. Do you know that Ephesians tells us that the riches of Christ, when we've been in heaven forever, you know, in terms of our years, we will still not scratch the surface of the depths of Christ. You think, is there more to learn? Yes, there will be more to learn a zillion years from now about how good Jesus is. John chapter 1, verse 3, all things came into being through him and apart from him. Nothing came into being that has come into being. In Hebrews chapter, chapter 12, verse three, uh, three and, uh, 2 and 3, it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Watch what the writer of Hebrews says. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him did endure the cross, despising the shame. And he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You need hope today? Look to the right hand of the Father. And you'll see hope has a name. His name is Emmanuel, who dwelt among us. Second reason why he had to come was that the Son of God appeared for this purpose. I love this verse. He appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. John chapter 3, verse 8, the one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Look at what the hymn writer says in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. 
Come, desire of nations, come, fixing us thine humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed, bruising us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness, now he face. Stamp thine image in its place. And second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. What is this? It is a direct, it's a directly looking at the proto-evangelium. What is that, Pastor Nathan? That sounds like a long theological word. It's this. It's the first good news in all the Bible. After the fall, the Lord is dealing with the serpent. And he's saying, what did you do? He's dealing with the serpent. I'll just read it for you. Genesis chapter 3, 14 and 15. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and the dust you will eat all the days of your life. And watch this. This is the proto-evangelium. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He, notice it's a he. I said that to Nasser. He goes, it says he? I said, yes, it says he. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. It meant that one was going to come not from man, but from woman. It doesn't say the seed of a man. It says the seed of a woman. How come all of those genealogies in Scripture said, this father beget this son that beget this son that beget this son that beget this son, but in this one it says that he is born of a virgin. That's the sign I'm going to give to you. Why? Because sin transfers from father into the child, father into the child, father into the child. But when it comes to Jesus, it has a different father. It has a different father. That's the, the good news. What is he going to do? I'm going to make it so that your seed doesn't play well with her seed. And her seed, her seed is going to crush your head and you're going to bruise the seal. I was talking to my dad about this and my dad, I thought, had a great insight on this. He says, how does he bruise, how does he bruise Jesus' heel? I think he bruises it because Jesus comes down so hard on the devil to destroy the works of the devil, he bruises his heel. He hits him so hard. I was like, dad, that's astute. I'm preaching that. The third reason Jesus had to become a man is he became man to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, it says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that, uh, that he appeared in order to take sin away, and in him there is no sin. So was Jesus like us in terms of like he came, he sinned? No. I said to Nasser, hey, he's the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. He was no ordinary man. He was no mere prophet. He never sinned. Nasser, he's completely different than every other man. Do you know any man who's never committed a sin? He said, no. I said, yet the scriptures say about him, he never committed a sin. 
come to take it away. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26 and 28. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifest to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once And after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. I just want to know, am I in a room with people who are eagerly awaiting his coming? Are we looking forward to when he comes again? Look at what the writer of the hymn says. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lay his glory by. Born that men no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second And the final reason that Jesus had to become a man is for the purpose of his advent to prepare for a second coming. In the scriptures, we get a man that has no father, nor mother, nor lineage. His name is Melchizedek. Abraham offered to him a tithe. He had no mother, no father, no lineage. He's called the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Who was he? He's Jesus, back in the Old Testament. That's who he is. And he blessed Abraham way back then. He is the king of peace. The Bible says Jesus is the prince of peace. What is the scope and the quality of his reign? What was his chief pursuit? Jesus is here to make peace between God and man. Christmas is the only holiday that champions peace, tranquility, joy, and stillness. I don't know about you, but I I long for the moment when peace comes back in this world. But peace is coming different than you think he's coming. I told Nasser, he's not coming. He's not coming peacefully. Oh, peace is coming, but he's not coming peacefully. He came, he came humbly once. The next time he comes back, his robe is dipped in blood. And on his hip is written faithful and true. And he comes on a white charger. And all heaven comes with him. And there's going to be a shout. There's going to be the trump of the archangel. And, and I'm telling you, when he comes, one word of his mouth is going to slay the enemy. And the blood is going to be to the horse's bridle. Because when he comes, he comes in victory. The conquering king. Oh, he will be peace. Because after he comes, peace. Peace to the level that on the, on, the, on the UN building, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but on the, on the UN building, it says a verse, and it says, and the swords will be beaten into plowshares, and they will remember war no more. That's what's going to happen when Jesus returns. We're not even going to remember what war was like because perfect peace will rule and reign from Jerusalem. 
True joy cannot happen without peace. Do you know that shalom, how do, you, how, do, how do Jews greet each other? What do they say to one another? Shalom, peace. Shalom, peace is a central theme of all the scriptures. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace, right? Paul the Apostle, in all of his letters, he writes these things. He says, grace to you and peace, because he realized that Jesus is peace. May peace be upon you. John chapter 20, verse 19, Jesus came. Peace be with you, he says. First words to his disciples, peace be with you. Shalom is that wide range of meaning. Shalom to Hebrew, it means, it doesn't just mean peace, it means wholeness, security, and well-being. It means eternal salvation. This son, this peace, is the wholeness and the completeness. Do you know that many say that Isaiah is a book of war? It has so many aspects of the, of the poetic about God's judgment. And yet in Isaiah chapter 2, verse Verse 12, it says, the Lord comes against the haughtiness of man. The Lord alone is exalted. He is coming in war. For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty and against everyone who is lifted up that he may be abased. This son, this prince, he is wholeness and completeness. But in Isaiah chapter 3, verse Verse 8, it says, For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their actions are against the Lord to rebel against his holy presence. What is it's telling you is there is a state of war that exists between God and man, and we are broken in our sin as a result of it, and we are no longer whole. Even Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says that the wrath of God is revealed. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Isaiah is declaring that there is war. We're in a state of war, but it also says this. It's a book of peace. Why? Because when it talks about Jesus in chapter 7 and in chapter 9 and in 53 and in 63 and all the way through 66, it's telling you about the one who would bring peace to the situation. In the midst of war, with no desire of men towards reconciliation, God's favor cannot be earned. God does give something. He, 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 he gives us what we need more than anything, he gives us someone. And it's the gift of God that brings healing, that brings wholeness to us, that brings completion, that brings you shalom, peace. And our lives, if we're really honest, is marked by a bunch of incompletion, isn't it? Immoral lifestyle that we have. But only one thing comes in and bridges that gap of our brokenness, and that one thing is him himself, Jesus Christ, he is true everlasting peace. And that, my friends, is the message of Christmas. He brings shalom. Look what he said. 
But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, appearing with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. He is called here in this He says, it's a savior. He's a savior, being fulfilled among those with whom he is pleased. We have peace with God. Romans chapter five, verse one. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's wholeness, he's completion. I don't know if you've ever read uh, Revelation chapter 21, but you should. He makes his dwelling place with man. There's wholeness of relationship, completion from the grief and the trauma that we bear. If you have said, I need hope today, your hope has come. He's the Alpha and the Omega, and our God never leaves anything undone. He finishes it. He brings peace. He quenches the thirst of your heart without payment. And he says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. He adopts us in. We regain the presence of the Father. We gain shalom, wholeness, completion, just as Paul says, grace and peace to you in the Lord Jesus Christ and his government. Let me tell you something. If you're depressed about the state of our government, join the club. They're a mess, aren't they? Do you know one day... The United States will be the United States of Jesus Christ. They will present themselves in Jerusalem and say, Congress is here. The Senate is here. The President is here. We've all come to bow knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're here because government is upon your shoulders, Lord. There will be no end to the increase of his government and of his peace. Let me tell you a story, and then I'll finish. I'm going to ask Marlon if he'd come. I told you that he came to destroy the works of the devil, to take away sin, to reveal the Father, and to prepare for the second advent, advent meaning his coming. There was a guy, and he was in a state where he had no hope. And he, he would go to his mom, and she was very sick at the time, and she said, he said, Mom, I, I, have no, I have no hope. What can I do? Where can I go? I don't even want to live, Lord. Uh, mom, I don't, I don't want to live. And his mother is on her deathbed, and she gets out these words. She says, all hope can be found in the C major scale. Now, that sounds like a weird thing to say on your deathbed. And then she dies. And he's got those words stuck 
in his head. All hope can be found in the C major scale. It's like, what does that even mean? It's like some kind of riddle. And so, one Christmas Eve, he's in despair. He sits down at the piano and he's looking at those white and black keys and he plays the C major scale. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. Do it for us. All hope can be found in the C major scale. He plays it again. Then he plays it, plays it backwards. He plays it backwards again. And he thinks about something. He starts to mess with the timing of those notes. And something comes out. plays it again, messing with the timing. Play it again. When you have no hope, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let heaven and nature sing. Amen. Bow your heads with me. I want to ask you a question. Are you whole? Are you complete today? What is your state personally with God? If you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, you are at war with God. You need help. But in his love, he came that you might have that help. All you have to do today is say, I believe in the Prince of Peace. I believe that God became flesh, dwelled among us. I believe that hope was in that manger and that hope made his way to the cross because hope has a name, Emmanuel. If you need to put your hope in Jesus Christ today, you've never, maybe you've been away from God, but you can tell that he's just drawing you back to his heart. And you say, that's me this morning. Pastor Nathan, would you pray for me? Raise your hand. That's you. You say, I believe. I want to believe today. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.